Welcome to the Urantia Radio Podcast. I'm very happy to announce that the Urantia Radio Podcast is now expanding to two new unique episodes per week. On Sundays, we'll showcase a Urantia paper of the week as suggested by you. And then on Thursday, we will have our topics and guest segment. So two new segments per week coming up on the Urantia Radio Podcast. And coming up next, Gabriel Reinberg and his team to talk more about the exciting project at hand at JesusMetaverse.org in a moment. Imagine being able to cross-reference all of the wonderful and meaningful events in Jesus' life, even the words he spoke on subjects like raising kids, treating your spouse, treating your government, and what if you could connect the people he met and the impact he had on their lives and how he changed the world. Wouldn't that be something truly important to have at your fingertips? something that would compel people to learn more about the Son of Promise? Well, this is what the Jesus Metaverse is all about. And last time we caught up with Gabriel Reinberg, we learned about the people behind the scenes. Joining us today, Gabriel and Sandra Nyberg, Susan Nylons, and Mike Robinson, all of whom are students of the Arantia book and are helping to connect the dots in the Jesus Metaverse here on the Arantia Radio Podcast. So now we're we're going to continue our discussion here on Urantia Book Radio with uh, Gabriel and a continuation of this enormously important project called the Jesus Metaverse. Uh, it is a full uh, hands-on approach to taking the fourth part of the Urantia Book and making it come alive. And now we're going to continue on with more folks who have joined us who are contributing in the Center for Unity Project, the Jesus Metaverse, and all that it entails. Talked a little bit about the purpose, how you came to to, to the realization. Uh, the idea just came out of you, and you ran with it, and you've been working with people. Jim English, you mentioned, who was a big part. Also, Gary, and your relationship with Gary and Lisa. And then we met Andre yesterday. We've met so many good people that are contributing something to this enormous project. Please introduce me to your new people that are part of this conversation today. So Sandra is my beloved wife, and the Orange Book actually put us together. We wouldn't be here if the Orange Book didn't exist. Um, well, we wouldn't be together. Um, Mike uh, is, uh, is our baby Benjamin. He's the last one to join this team about two or three months ago. Susan is the wife of, of Rick and Basically, Susan and Rick, uh, probably a year ago already, um, I approached them several times, and then a year ago, I think both of them joined Rick more as an executive position, and Susan, she's in charge of our newsletter, and she's also our head data curator, which is what we're going to talk about today. The data curation is, I say curation because it's almost like an artistic um, endeavor where we are going through part four of the Orange book and we're getting all this information into a computer model. It's very creative. It's not, it's technical, but it's also very, very creative. Um, so this is the data curation team. Let's take a, a segment of the book that people may be familiar with that has to do with Mary and Joseph and uh, see if I can find it here. Cause in this particular paper from the fourth part of the book, it's describing the earth parents of, of Jesus uh, and the selection process that was involved. So it's just one paragraph. For 22, section 1, paragraph 1, Joseph, the human father of Jesus, was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, albeit he carried many non-Jewish racial strains, which had been added to his ancestral tree from time to time by the female lines of his progenitors. The ancestry of the father of Jesus went back to the days of Abraham and through this venerable patriarch to the earlier times or the earlier lines of inheritance leading to the Sumerians and Nodites and through the southern tribes of the ancient blue man to Andon and Fanta. So I don't have to continue, but that makes a couple of different observations for me is, and then I'll throw it to you. So therein lies a lot of information that is not currently available. It's not in scripture. I don't know if they could do they is anybody on uh, familiar enough with scripture to know that there's that much information about Joseph. So how are you going to take that element 
And how do you take that and, and put it in the metaverse? So yeah, on our website, you can see, and, and actually on this, this uh, latest newsletter, we've published a piece that explains this data model. Um, and, and we always put videos. And so if you go on our web- website and you go to the blog, you'll be able to find this information and perhaps we'll add a link. Um, the key here is you can think of this exercise as, as taking a marker, like a highlighter, and looking at a printed version of the Urantia book and asking yourself key questions. So, for example, if we're reading 122.11, which I think is what you just read, yeah. um, we are looking to uh, highlight with a marker, you know, allegorically, Every person. So obviously we see here Joseph, we see the name Jesus, um, we see, in this case, Abraham, we see David and Solomon, we see Andon and Fonda. Uh, so these are all the people that appear in this paragraph. So we would highlight them. Then if in this paragraph we saw a date, something like, sometimes the Arantxa book gives us a year. This thing happened on this year, or sometimes this thing happened in November of this year. But sometimes there's an actual day, in a month, in a year, and in you know the last week from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, you have sometimes hours. Right. So you have a very very fine resolution of time. So if there's a timestamp, a date, we call this a time, then you will mark it. Okay. Then there's places. Uh, in this particular paragraph, they talk about Sumerians and Nodites. It's like a very broad brush. But if they were mentioned Jerusalem or Nazareth or Capernaum or any other place, we would mark it down. So let me retrace. We're talking about people. We're talking about times. We're talking about places. The next thing that we will do is, and this is not marking down. This is really the creative aspect of this work, is what is it that this paragraph is trying to tell us? So we're learning something about Joseph. We're learning something about his ancestry, how racially uh, diverse his ancestry was, going all the way back to the original humans, Andor and Fonta. So obviously there is a topic here that we can delineate and say, what was Jesus's ancestry? You know, what was his lineage, so to speak? So this is, a, this is now a topic, and we can make up as many topics as we want. I keep telling my team, this team, that this data model that we're building is basically unlimited in size. It will keep growing. Some aspect of it are limited. If you sit in front of your rancher book and you're looking for names of people, eventually you will get them all, and there's a finite number of names. I don't know how many, but, you know, several hundreds or several thousands, and you will finish and you will get them all. Same for locations and same for times. Uh, But topics is really an unlimited potential because somebody might read this paragraph and say, okay, I'm interested in the lineage of Jesus. But somebody else might say, okay, what was, um, how did Joseph's uh, cultural background affect Jesus's upbringing and maybe some some piece of information in the ancestry of Joseph might be relevant to that topic so you can see this is really uh, limited only by our imagination and I think people 20 years from now 50 years from now and especially when more people read the Arantxa book they will get more information out of this so this data model will keep growing Uh, So I hope I answered your question. You basically take a marker and you're looking for people, places, times, but you're also looking for higher, higher level insights. You know, what is it that the revelators are trying to tell us about Jesus, about his teachings, about his family, about his relationships? And those are topics. Um, One more thing we have is events. You know, if something happened, then we will say this happened and then we will detail everything that happened and who participated and where that happened, and when that happened. So later we can ask questions like, you know, show me everything that happened in Jerusalem. And of course, many things happened in Jerusalem. 
But what if you could see in one place a list of everything that happened in Jerusalem that is documented uh, in the Orange Book? That's quite interesting, you know, and you can see it over time on the timeline. So if we collect this information for events, then we'll be able to ask this data model questions like that. It, yeah. it, it sounds like an excellent uh, development of a research tool, because if you were doing research on any number of data points, this would easily coalesce them and make them easier to much easier to find. We approached non-Urantia readers, and Rick Lyon had a discussion with a pastor that lives close to Rick and Susan from the U.S., and he was telling him about the metaverse. And this pastor gives us a sermon every Sunday, right? He says, wow, I have a library full of books, but I cannot find anything. <laughs> and if I had a tool like this, I could find different topics and I could just write my sermon based on this information. So you're right. This could be an amazing research tool for everything Jesus, basically. Also, it does it, this, this kind of caught my attention. In a way, you're sort of validating the Arantia book, aren't you? Because what you're doing is showing how consistent it is. If you're connecting all these dots, that sort of indicates that the, the dots are connectable and they're not inconsistent, right? There's many layers of information, data, and insights in part four of the Orange Book. Uh, in this exercise, we're right now limiting to part four, but somebody might come and say, oh, I want to do this to the entire Orange Book, and it's mm -hmm. a great thing to do. Uh, when that person comes, I will teach them everything and give them all the tools. Uh, but we're really focused on part four right now. And sure. what Gary said yesterday, he said this is a non-linear way of studying the Urantia book and the life of Jesus. Because if you're asking, for example, what was uh, Jesus' thinking about parenting? So there are many episodes you can, you can look into, and they're, they, they're not on the same time in the same place. They're not in the same paper, so to speak, because the Urantia book is linear in time. Right. But if you now want to look at something that has, you can jump back and forth, this is what we're doing. We're connecting the dots. So this team is responsible for eliciting these topics and then also saying, okay, what is this connected to? So, you know, parenting is connected to him being a parent to his teachers, but also him thinking about John Mark and his parenting and comparing it to the other person and... and uh, I mean, there are many instances, I don't remember them all right now, that we learned something about what Jesus was thinking about child rearing, how to deal with uh, conflicts, how he dealt with his own conflicts. So we have to go through the entire part four to get all this information. This is what we're doing. We're going through entire part four many, many, many times. And every time we're looking for something else. But we're doing this in a methodical way. And we have a process that we've been developing and basically perfecting over this last year that allows us to get this information and connect it. Uh, so there's quite a few innovations here. Not the least is just doing this thing and, and putting it out in the public, but also the process that we've been using. It's quite, quite creative and quite innovative. Do you start from a certain paper and then just work your way through all the way to the end? How does that process work? Um, and I, I'll address that for you. Um, we began before going through the uh, untold story of Jesus. So we picked out events, basically, we started with that were happening in that book. And then those things would be called nodes, is what nodes. Gabriel referred to them as mm -hmm. a person or an event or a topic or anything like that. And they have connectors in the tool that we use, which is the air table that Gabriel discovered just about at the perfect time when we began this work. And it really is useful, and it has a way of connecting all of the nodes to other nodes um, through through kind of a right described in or occurred at or the relationship nodes which show the between the people and the relationships and the events and topics. So it all connects into this big mass of connected information. In in regards to the um, daily work, we've already gone through the bat book and then the part four of the Urantia book, and now it's um, adding extra things that maybe were missed through the first pass, 
and um, making sure connections are are accurate and that the data is thorough. And, you know, that's the phase we're in now. Mike is finishing up with, I think, the very last papers of part four of the Urantia book. Um, he can tell you more about that, but it's basically adding and making sure all of that is correct and thorough and complete now. I can share briefly uh, from, from my lens as, as well, because I uh, have had the, the benefit of all this foundational work done as I came into the project. And what's fascinating about it is, uh, you know, taking ownership of a particular paper and then looking for events and topics and scanning what is already in the, the data tables in the metaverse and looking for those connectors and seeing that, uh, as Gabriel mentioned, some things are brought up in multiple papers in different uh, areas of the book. So I'll search and find that I can add into a, a given topic or a given event or add some detail, maybe a date that was missing. And it adds to that internal congruence, I think, that we talked about before, which is the consistency of the book and the ability to find uh contributions to topics that are scattered throughout the book that continue to add in and reinforce what has already been said. Uh, and, and I'm seeing that kind of bear fruit as I'm doing these final passes on some of the papers. Some, some of the topics are very exciting. And the one you brought up about the ancestry of Jesus was one topic that I actually put in because I was interested in that particular topic. Rick and I had seen a, a presentation on History Channel, where they had actually done DNA research on the Shroud of Turin. And of course, the people that had the research done were hoping that it would be the blood of Jesus on there. But they came to the conclusion when the DNA came back that the um, the blood that was on in the DNA on the Shroud actually came from Egypt. And so they ruled out that it could have belonged to Jesus. But, you know, and that's one presentation that we added into the ancestry so that people could watch that. But the, the curious thing about it was from our information from the Urantia book, knowing that Abraham was an ancestor of Joseph and that Joseph's family had come from Egypt. And then when Mary and Joseph were escaping Herod, they went into Egypt that's right. and were staying in the palatial home. And they had connections to actually the descendants of the Knotten. There was some definite aristocracy there. And we know that Abraham's um, grandson was sold into slavery into Egypt. And his name was Joseph, the one that we know from the Bible as the one with the coat of many colors. That Joseph? The one they made the play on? Yeah, the one they made the play on, who was actually um, a grandson of Joseph or Abraham. He made a name for himself in in Egypt and actually lived in and worked with the Pharaoh and was the one who had the wisdom to save food aside because he had a sense that there was going to be a famine. And he was famous for that. So that family was well established in Egypt. And so when, you know, Mary and Joseph went and took Jesus there, they wanted them to stay because they believed Jesus was going to be a son of promise so there's quite a history there when you put the those dots together in that information is it possible that the shroud that gives some credibility to to what they ruled out as being impossible that's amazing the people on the history channel said well i guess we were wrong but yet they're not wrong and the Arantia book sort of validates their own research but they just don't know it that's an amazing thing all right so I got another one for you. Let's let's tackle another passage, if you don't mind. This one is paper 171, section 3, paragraph 3. When G- and this is about the blind man. So he says, when Jesus heard that the blind man crying out, he stood still. And when he saw him, he said to his friends, bring the man to me. And they went over to uh, Bartimaeus, uh, saying, be of good cheer. Come with us, for the master calls for you. I hope I'm saying it right, Bartimaeus. Now, so there's a section that, again, involves a little detail that you might not find anywhere else. On that, how how would you tackle that particular section? You know, I can share it at a high level. So that's an event 
for us, the, the actual healing. Um, and so that's how we first approach it, meaning that we know that uh, we know what transpired, we know when it transpired, we know who uh, who was involved, and we know where uh, it occurred in this case as well. And so that's um, that's kind of the broader part of the uh, the event record uh, for us. Now, was he the same gentleman that appeared in court later and said, "All I know is I can see"? Is that the man, Bartimaeus? Yeah. But history doesn't know his name, but now they will. That's amazing. That you're cataloging Jesus's life. So how far are we but along? Here's, what, here's, here's another another level to this. Jesus met Bartimaeus once, just once, for a few minutes. We don't know of any other meeting they had, so I'm assuming that's the only one they had. But you know, we don't know. It's pretty evident they didn't have a relationship. So it was like a, a happenstance meeting, or what I say as he passed by. But how many people in the Arantia book are mentioned along the same category as he passed by? So the two courtesans and the young yeah. man who was afraid and the husband and the wife in Tarentum and this and this and the woman who touched his gown and he said, I perceive life is going out of me. And all the people he healed, many others, Zacchaeus, uh, the tax collector from Jericho, so we could have a topic called As He Passed By and connect all of these episodes together to a rich tapestry of his ministry and write a piece on that and yeah. say, here are all the things that are alike. And this is what some people, after they got healed or had a miracle, this happened to them. And some people, this happened to them. But we can see this little tidbit of information collected non-linearly from all uh, parts four of the Arantxa book. So by making these connections, each one of these can be an event, but we're linking them together and saying, here's one topic that connects all of these events which are seemingly unrelated, besides the fact that Jesus was there and he right. did something, um, together. And then we can present a picture that is much richer. Um, and, and again, these connections, we spent a whole year doing this. So you can imagine this is already thousands of hours. And I, I will give credit to several other people who are not here today. Mary Jo Gracia, Godwin Uzu from Africa, Colin Slomo from Africa, Monica Kemp, um, Manuela Tourneau. They were, we were a big team, and this is the core that has remained for the last stretch. So we're talking thousands of hours, thousands of hours. And this is just, you know, it's good enough now to to serve as a basis point, but we could spend thousands more hours and people maybe one day will. Um, it's something that'll be added to, will it be sort of like yes. open sourced? Right. Yeah, open source. And also uh, we will build an interface so that people can ask good questions. Uh, I'm, I already have the ideas on how to do this. Something simple, you know, there's tools today that you can, you can ask AI's questions. So this is not really an AI, but, I have an idea of making it accessible to people so that they can look for things, but also we'll, we'll put the data in a way that is in the public domain so people can take that data and do something else with it. Other products, other ideas, other tools. Um, yeah, and then if somebody wants to help us make this data set better, we will have a process where they can look at it and say, oh, but this is missing. Why don't you add this? And we will examine this and, and keep adding things. So we will make it uh, we will make it in the, in the public domain for sure. Please. No, what I wanted to say also that um, when we started, like like Susan said, with the Anton story of Jesus, there were we took the information from there, and there were topics that came out of there. And then when we go went to the to the part four of the Urantia book, then we there were other topics added, and then some people came to the team and added more topics. So it's it's really very individual, like like Gabriel said before, what somebody can take out of the information and make a topic about it, and also the relation 
So the, this adding these these dots together and the relating one thing to the other makes this so rich and so really great for for someone that that cannot really or is not interested to read the book or never read the book or is not able to do it, you know. And when my came also came with other topics, say, oh, this this for um, this is missing. Can we do this? And and it's something that is really in my opinion, going to grow on time and and also from the perspective of many, many people, you know, that are going to probably be a part of this. You could take almost all of those points and turn any one of them into a movie or a, a series, which is part of this plan, Gabriel, right? So you could do a, if it was episodic, you could do one on each one of the apostles, just based by all of these data points that you've pulled together, these nodes. Uh, and you don't have to go and read the whole book. It's all it, you can collate it the way you want. So if I want to do a, if I want to write a book on what it was like for John Mark to travel around with Jesus, and learn all of these things, probably the luckiest man in 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 the universe, to be able to hang out with Jesus as much as he did. You know, amazing. The magnitude of this work is that this team is creating the data set. The team we talked to yesterday with Andre leading, is writing a piece on each one of these data points. This is how big the work we're doing is. It's humongous. It's gargantuan, Andre said yesterday. Because each one of these data points, and there's already thousands of them, we're going to expand into a written piece, and then we're going to add to it media files. And that's the basis of the software, the metaverse software. And then we're going to show you an experience, and we going to give you maps and timelines. So this is how these, everything gets connected. We're collecting now insights, topics, informations, and then other people are expanding them into mini essays or, you know, sometimes uh, the, the, obviously Jesus's page is already probably 15,000 words. So, it, but it's a, it's a, it's a synthesis of 15,000 words that goes through a sequence and also uses all these data points. This is how things get connected. Um, Do you think that this will help people? Uh, is it your, maybe one of the de desires here is to use this as a way of introducing people to the Arantia book? They will. And J.J. Benitez wrote his series of books. Uh, he heavily, heavily borrowed from the Arantia book. I will not say plagiarized, but <laughs> he heavily borrowed. Um, but what happened is that thousands of people in South America who read his books in Spanish were, were, were meeting for the first time a Jesus they've never met before, which was heavily influenced and inspired by what the information presented to us in part four of the Orange Book. So they they were asking, and, and some of our team members, uh, Luis, that we met uh, a while back. He said, you know, I, I, where's this coming from? I've never heard this about Jesus, or I've never seen this particular thing. So I imagine many people will ask, and we will not be shy and say, yes, uh, these products are inspired by part four of the Orange Book. And if you want to know more, then feel free. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I know a lot of people will. Um, but at, at the same time, it's important that I mentioned our purpose is to help people connect to God. So when they read about Jesus, when they read about what he said, what he did, the fact that we are children of a loving father, the fact that we are a human family, uh, we can say a brotherhood, but a family is even better. And, you know, this world needs these concepts, these simple spiritual truths. The young man who was afraid was comforted and then later became a, became a leader just because he had a five-minute conversation with Jesus. And Jesus said whatever he needed to hear, and now we can enjoy this. And there's many other young people who, when they will see the scene, maybe recreated in a dramatic way, or a video of somebody narrating this, or a piece, a written piece that explains and gives part of the dialogue or part of the actual quote of what Jesus said. And then I, I imagine a young person who is feeling that exactly, that he cannot deal with his life and he has to get away 
and he's feeling maybe depressed or anxious about whatever. We all felt this, but now we have a chance to see one of the highest levels or the high, highest level spiritual master on this planet explain to me how to deal with my life situation 2,000 years later. Mm -hmm. So we're not all fortunate to have been living here when he was here. But we are all fortunate because of the Revelators and the Arantia book to recreate and, and paraphrase and share and make accessible all of the richness of the story and the very, very simple truths. You know, we are loved children of God. And, and how much more a divine parent will love a child than a human parent? So we all know what a human parent can do out of love to their children. So... You know, that, 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 that particular idea changed my life, that you can have a relationship with God on a personal level and you don't need any intermediate. That was a, a revelation that when I, when I understood it, when I heard it, I didn't, I didn't understand it. It took me years, and the Arantia book was part of this process. And what I read about what Jesus said, and of course, parts one, two, and three, this is, okay, somebody told me this, but now I can read it in all this detail. And now I can see somebody who's practicing this and teaching it. That changed my life. I, I think it might change other people's lives as well. So our job is to present this. And the rest is not going to be up to us. You know, as a person who found the Urantia book through a secondary work, I see this as being so important because the, the material is there, but the person who finds the the metaverse actually has the power of discovery through seeking the answers themselves instead of us presenting i mean we're there as a resource and we're there once they do discover and and they want to meet other people but the power of this is that they are believing that there is something maybe they haven't been um introduced to before Maybe there is something that they'll learn about Jesus that they haven't known, something they missed. That that mystery is something that drives people to seek. And when they're in that mode, they're open spiritually, I believe. Um, and I think this will be a tool that will bring many people to to a personal faith through knowing through knowing Jesus but also this discovery process of him. How many people do you need to help you now? I mean, what are you looking for now? Do you need more people to help because it'll accelerate the progress? Or, uh, yeah, that's that's the question. Do you need people? I, I know somebody, one of my wonderful listeners said that they're a musician and they contacted you and they're going to start doing music for you. Other people said, you know, another musician said, wow, I didn't even know this was going on. This is exciting. So you want people, you want donations, you want contributions, you want everything because this is going to be a project that doesn't really have a time. I mean, it's not going to end. It's just going to continue to get better and better, right? But other projects will have to wait for this initial one to be done. So is, is the curating and the nodes and building that database sort of the, the bedrock to the other projects that will spring from it? Uh, to answer your question, anybody who wants to serve, we're building a very large organization that will last a long, long time, and especially young people, but not just young people. Anybody who says, I want to be part of this, they can go on our website and there's a volunteer application link. If you feel you, you, you want to join, then you have a place and we will find out together what that place is. Uh, we do need other people to write material, a lot of material, and, and edit and proofread. Uh, we will need translators to other languages, but that's going to come down the road. Um, and we're now starting to look for the quality material that will enhance the written material. So art and comics and videos and podcasts, anything that will enhance this, um, this written piece, which will be mostly originally written by a bunch of book students, and it's the work that the team we interviewed yesterday is doing right now. Uh, we're going to put other type of rich media files there so that you can enjoy 
a musical presentation or maybe a video from a, a play, you know, or if it's a location, then how does it look today? You know, right. we have videos of Pella where, where the baptism occurred. There's an actual archaeological site near Jericho and you can go see it and there's an excavation. So we can put a video of that and show you how it looks today. Mm-hmm. Of course, Nazareth, Jerusalem, they're all Capernaum, they're filled with, Israel is filled with archaeological sites. So videos of, of things, um, you know, the Shroud of Turin might appear somewhere. So we will link this into whatever, you know, the Joseph mm-hmm. of Arimathea and the story about the resurrection. So there might be some piece or something about the Shroud of Turin. All this rich media. Um, you tell not me about the boat. <clears throat> they found a boat, right? And you believe that it's either a boat that Jesus made or his design, right? Yes. Yes, there is a boat, um, and actually the Jesus Museum, uh, we're in negotiations to lease the auditorium that has been waiting for 50 years. It's They built it, and they never used it. And that boat, which I will mention in a minute, is sitting in a museum, and they have a whole wing of that museum waiting for something for the last 50 years. And we feel it's been waiting for the Jesus Museum. So we're negotiating... Now at least to lease that place and also hire a professional museum design company with our own Stephen Marble to design the concept for this. The story for this boat is that 40 years ago the Sea of Galilee receded and two amateur archaeologists were walking on down the beach looking for treasure. They hit on a piece of wood uh, and some nails that looked very old. They started excavating. It was basically buried in mud for 2,000 years. They flew people from all around the world to get it out because as soon as you get it out of the water and the mud, it starts disintegrating. And they did a rescue operation with special foam and a special lift. And it took them 10 years (laughs) to restore this boat to the point that it can basically withstand the pressure of time. And it is now placed in a museum on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, very close to where it was found uh, in a place called Ginosar, which is, you know, 10 minutes away from Capernaum. Everything is close over there. Sure. Um, it's, it's, it's an amazing story. And the, and the historians who looked at the design of the boat, they saw that it, the way that the, jo- the boards were joined was a novel way. They haven't seen Roman boats use the same technology. So they surmised that this was a new design that surfaced around the Sea of Galilee, uh, and they carbon dated it to the time of Jesus. So oh, they did. And we know this phrase in the book where it talks about, I don't know, does anybody have that one in their at their fingertips where it describes the boat, the fact that he was an expert boat builder and changed the way that boats were built from that point on, and everybody wanted to buy his boats. And that's something that you don't read about in the New Testament, you know, the boat builder of Capernaum, you know. Um, Any of you want to comment? I mean, you're all experts at Jesus at this point. You could walk in. Let me read this. uh, About the boat. Can I read this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 129.13. Jesus worked with Zebedee only a little more than one year. During that time, he created a new style of boat and established entirely new methods of boat making. Jesus became well known to the Galilean fisher folk as the designer of the new boats. And doesn't it also say that um, within five years, all the boats on the Sea of Galilee were that type of boat, had been built in those boat shops? And I think it was interesting too. Did, it said that um, it was found near Magdala, right? Gabriel, is that? And that is where Jesus' uncle and his brother Jude ended up doing a fishing business. So I feel sure that maybe if that boat was from that area, it's very possible that they might have been some of the first ones that would have purchased boats from that Jesus had made. So I think it's very possible that it could be a boat that was built in that very boat shop and possibly even by Jesus. It's interesting. Sandra and I were, uh, went to this very place with a visitor from Canada last week, and we stood in front of this boat. And when I say this, and I, I told this story to many people, 
my body reacts and I may cry because I personally believe that this particular boat was actually built by Jesus. Cannot prove it, but this is a feeling so strong. And if that is the case, or there's a, there's a likelihood, that's the only object maybe burying the Shroud of Turin that actually exists from that time that he, he made. Um, and we want to build an entire museum, right? So you will go into this boat, you will see this, then they will open a door, and you will go back 2,000 years in time, and, well, the rest, we haven't designed it yet, but we're working on that too. Well, well, we need boat, we need boat <laughs> films we need, in part of our cinematic project. I envision and dream that we'll have boat films from all the stories pulled out of the Arantia book of him being around the boats, like when when they found him in the boat weeping before they started out on the first breaching tour, or when he um, at when the crowd was pressing them so much that he called the boat, you know, the, the men in the boat to come over and at least get him out into the water so he had room to even stand and speak. And, you know, there's times when his sister came and and Ruth and he went into a boat and went offshore a little bit so they could have a private talk. There's so many stories about the boats that, you know, and him working in the in the boat shop and then laying down his tools and saying, my hour has come. And, and went to be baptized. There are so many of these films that we could make that would enrich the experience when people visited the museum and see the boat themselves. And that, of course, is because of the work that you've done creating all these nodes, uh, right? Or did you just know, uh, did you, are all of you experts well-versed with the Arantia book before you were involved in this project? Any of you not familiar with the Arantia book? No, everybody was a reader already. Yeah, it was a requirement. <laughs> to be honest, I've, I've been reading since 1989, so just over 30 years. Oh my! Has um, has the, doing this project enhanced your appreciation of of uh, what aspect of 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 the book? Jesus, obviously, has it enhanced your appreciation of the meticulous detail that the revelators uh, provided in putting this book together? From a literary point of view, what are your what are your thoughts? Uh, how does it compare to say some of the best writings ever, Shakespeare, anybody? Uh, <laughs> any? Well, in in my case, I've been reading the Iranian book since '93. My mother tongue is is Spanish, so I I started reading the Iranian book in. Spanish, of course. Uh, then many years after, also in English. But uh, I think that that what this project gave to me is again is it goes beyond what you read or what you understand in an intellectual kind of way or in a you know. It it brings you. I don't know how what was the the experience by Susan and, and Mark, but for me, it's because when I started to do the first work with the Anto story, I did it with my mom, which is also a Urantia reader, and we were in such a sharing of really Jesus in the middle of of all this, you know, creating this data and and uh, and thinking about which which topics we should put in and should be this, the one, and then the knots getting it together. It's really uh, like being with our father creator all together doing this work and all the unseen uh, brothers and sisters that I'm sure are supporting us. So it's really, uh, of course, you go more deep and then, from all the years you have been studying, and you, you know, we know that when we read the Urantia book again and again, you discover discover new things. But in this case, I think it was really a, a communion, you know, like really being together with with Jesus doing this work, and it is is it's an amazing feeling. It brings it's beyond words for me. 
Well, you found a few, so thank you for that. Uh, I think it captures the uh, the essence of the importance of the work because it is the greatest story ever untold, uh, and we're telling it. So, um, are you? Do you ever have a problem putting things together without referring to the first three sections of the book? Because you're really focusing on part four, but so much of it draws from, for example, the conversation. I think it's at the end of paper 119 with Emmanuel giving advice. Is that incorporated into the? Yeah, can I? I was. Yeah, sure. I wanted to share on that point too because I think that's been one of the surprises as I've gone back through part four, is how many references. Uh, you, you think of it just as the the life of, of Jesus on Urantia, and yet it really does bring in other elements from the first three sections. Um, in fact, one paper that I'm working on right now speaks about uh, between uh, Jesus's ninth and tenth Marantia appearance after the crucifixion, he spends a day with the Marantia creatures who were resident on Urantia at the time, a thousand directors and assistant directors and others. And that's, you know, you wouldn't know that, obviously, from the Bible. And yet it brings in elements that might pique curiosity for those who are reading and studying about Jesus and his life uh, here on the planet to say, oh, well, who are these Marantia creatures and why are they here and what are they doing? And so I think it will be a springboard to invite uh, those who are curious into other parts of the book and to learn more about um, what your rancher has to share. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... I, I'm, I'm running out of questions because I think I've covered everything that I know about what you're doing. Is there anything that I haven't asked that you think the listeners should know? Anyone? I We neglected to mention um, there is someone helping uh, on our team named Roland Siegfried, who doesn't have um, the proper computer technology to actually work in the Airtable. Um, but he provides, um, he chooses a topic and he'll do research on it and provide it to me and I enter it for him. And he's been doing excellent work for us too. And uh, I just wanted to make sure he was mentioned. I just want to say, I'll, I'll just want to say that we're extremely privileged that we were found by this book or we found it. Some people literally get it on their head. Um, but so I'll just finish by saying, me personally, when I understood who Jesus is intellectually, which of course refers to parts one, two, and three of the Orange Book, um, and the beginning of part four, the next question I had is, how do I want to spend the rest of my days on this planet? What do I do with it? No, making more money, getting more stuff. Yeah, it's all fun, having more vacations. But now I understand that the person who was here 2,000 years ago, not only for this planet, but for an entire universe, is my creator's son. So what drives me is knowing that one day we will all be, but, you know, I'm thinking about me, I will be actually face-to-face -face with Michael in Salvington asking for his blessing on the way out of this universe. Because I know this will happen for me. I've made that commitment. So <laughs> this is a thing Andre said that, it, that said that there's going to be a whole class of beings in front of Michael, but him being a creative son, he will have a discussion with you in your head, and he will have the same discussion with everybody else at the same time. So I'm sure he can do that as well. So, but I, I will have a, a personal time with him and say, I'm your child. And as soon as I knew that you were here and I was lucky enough to be on this torn planet, my mission was to share your life story so that other people can find peace and comfort and, and uh, in, in the knowing of the things that you came here to teach. Um, it's a great privilege. So, I, you know, I, there is no bigger privilege. Um, so, I, I think this is not work. This is, this is a great gift. So, um, I just wanted to say that. Well, thanks for that. And also, I don't want to let it go without mentioning that you were 
very instrumental in translating the Urantia book into Hebrew. Correct? That's pretty big. That's that's pretty big. That's right up there with some pretty big stuff. That's like Moses coming down with the tablets, I think. Because you're taking the life of, of the most important Jew in history and translating into his home language. Well, actually, he spoke Aramaic. But isn't Hebrew sort of derived from Aramaic? I mean, its root is Aramaic. Yeah, they're sister languages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell a story. We, we, Sandra and I were in a in, in a wedding. This is to 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 show how little non-Christians know about Jesus. We were in a wedding of Jewish people, and the husband of my business partner knows that I did the Urantia book, and we read it, and we told him about it, and so. Um, he says, are you, are you finished with the translation? But I finished the translation five years ago. So I said, yeah, a long time ago. So what are you doing now? So I said, I'm just working for the most famous Jew on the planet. His friend was sitting there. He looked at me as, as you're working for Albert Einstein? And no, so, so our friend said, no, he's working for Jesus. And the other guy says, Jesus was Jewish? So again, thanks to all those who joined in this wonderful conversation. See you next time. And don't forget two new Urantia Radio podcasts on Sunday. We will have the paper of the week as suggested by you. So if you have a particular Urantia book paper that you would like us to read and talk about, let us know. Urantia book radio at gmail.com. Urantia book radio at gmail.com. The paper of the week. Look for the download on Sunday morning. We'll talk to you then. Thanks for stopping by.